What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a new week and episode eight of the Faded Podcast. Uh, Before we get into the synopsis this week, just a couple quick things that I wanted to mention um, that we normally would mention on our social channels, but wanted to bring it to you here before the episode. Um, Thank you for all who have continued to spread the word and stay engaged uh, through our Instagram and uh, Facebook channels, both Faded Podcast by Handle, as well as our website um, that was newly released a couple weeks back, uh, www.fadedpodcast.com. We encourage you to continue to spread the word um, and to uh, remain engaged with us uh, by uh, reaching out with any feedback you have. Um, You can do that through the social channels. You can also do that uh, through our Gmail address, which is fadedpod at gmail.com. In any way that you see fit to reach out to us, Uh, We are receiving feedback. We're helping people. We're receiving feedback. This is a real live thing that we're doing. Um, And we we listen. We are listening to all of the feedback we're receiving. Um, A lot of it is really great. Some of it is really constructive. Um, And I I just wanted to um, call out the fact that we are doing the best we can um, with what we have, uh, where we've started. We have really big plans to do a lot more. Um, And most importantly, uh, with things that are going on in the world right now, um, and in light of larger conversations and the importance of, of really stopping thinking and taking action, um, we, we are um, working toward being better. We have room to be more diverse. We have room to talk about how this disease is affecting different parts of our society than what you're seeing in our stories so far. Um, and, and we're very committed to doing that and making sure that we're representing all groups because at the end of the day, we, we want our audience to be as big as possible. Um, so we are committed to that and we're really excited to continue that storytelling. Um, eight episodes in, we've got a long way to go and we're so excited to have you all on the journey with us. Um, thank you for listening and being open and, and all of the great, um, feedback that you've shared, the stories that we've heard, the people that we're helping. It really means everything. Um, so thanks for your understanding, uh, through it all and for just sticking with us. Uh, episode eight is really, really, uh, important to me. It's part of, uh, the continued story of Chris and our family's journey. Um, we, we want to definitely round out the conversation with Megan and dad. Uh, this week you're going to meet Megan, our sister, who is the middle child, um, and, uh, just an absolute unbelievable person. Um, she's been through a lot. She plays a really interesting role in Chris's story. Um, you'll hear us explain the fact that I am the oldest and um, was uh, part of Chris's story more so in the addiction uh, phase when it was revealed versus Megan, who was down at school with him, was so close with him um, throughout the journey, uh, really before he admitted to anything and, and while it was still hidden you know, in his lifestyle. So uh, sh- you'll hear her account. Um, you'll hear her uh, thoughts and her, you know, admittance in hindsight of maybe what she could have done better. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all we're all doing the best we can um, with this. And, and it's a disease that is very difficult to understand. It's very, very hard to kind of wrap your arms around how to play the right role, uh, what to do, what not to do. Um, and, you know, what what are we supposed to think, I guess, when we're younger, you know, and I, I think that's what we're trying to get down to for the future generations is, you know, when do we start talking about this? How do we talk about it? Um, how can we make a difference earlier so that, you know, families kind of like ours aren't left to not have resources to turn 
to um, when when they do end up needing to engage in this um, in this world of recovery. So um, this one's a great one. There's some some laughs. There's some uh, you know emotional moments, and I'd, I'd just like to say you know you'll you'll notice very very clearly my total nerdy, cheesy love for my siblings. Um, we have a very special bond. We're very lucky. We recognize that. And, um, you know, you'll hear kind of at the end of this that there's nothing better um, and more powerful than that bond um, that you choose to have uh, with those close people in your life. So uh, we are thrilled to introduce you to Megan. Uh, Megan, we love you. Enjoy it. And we will chat soon. Um, and this is going to be a special one. We have commandeered our parents' kitchen. They are not here. And the Sibs have arrived together. Welcome, finally, Maggie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. <laughs> We're so pumped to have you. You're smiling so big. because <laughs> I'm so awkward in these situations. I know, it's always awkward to start it out. Um, all right, so really important uh, to have Meg on because we've been talking about all different kinds of stories as it relates to Chris's story. Um, and while we would love to always continue on Chris's story, a big part of our family's story is that we are five people with five very different personalities and accounts of what Chris went through. And yours is actually probably the most unique because you were the most detached, I would say, for the most amount of time. So um, also my drinking buddy. Well, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't well, say I was the most detached. Uh, from physically when he was home. I was the I farthest mean. away. You were the, sorry, excuse, you're, thank you for the correction. You were the farthest <laughs> away for the most amount of time. Yes. Is that fair? Okay, sweet. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. So, um, so while I was home from school, and um, for clarification for everybody listening, there are five years between me and Chris, and Megan falls right in the middle. So I'm the oldest, Megan's right in the middle, Chris is youngest, um, and so because of that, um, for context, um, as you hear these stories, I was mainly in school with Megan and never in school with Chris. So that there's there's a that's a big deal because I didn't see a lot, and a lot of Megan's stories are I didn't see a lot of what Chris went through um, in person. I heard a lot of it, and I was around mom and dad at the time. But um, anyways, Meg, I would love for you to give before we get into stories like. What's your account of us growing up and like being in the house? And we've talked a little bit. I mean, we've talked to mom. We will talk to dad. But like, what do you remember just like growing up wise in general about alcohol and drugs and just like what you thought of them? Did you not care about it? Like what's kind of like your memory of being younger? Yeah. So like, you know, we, we definitely had uh, a family culture of entertaining. Um, yeah. There were always people in our house. It was never, um, you know, like a dangerous type of entertaining where, you know, you hear stories of throwdowns. parents just having throwdowns and leaving their kids and like, you know, all these strangers are around. But, you know, typically like cul-de-sac parties, um, they'd let us go play capture the flag and the, the parents would all, you know, get their lawn chairs and sit in the middle of the cul-de-sac. Um, and then we had a curfew and we'd all go to sleep and they'd stay up and party or whatever. But 
Um, it was always sort of like a, a communal thing, and um, you know, we would host a lot of like holiday dinners where everyone would be, you know, drinking there, and um, you know, I guess like cookouts and things like that. But um, it was never, you know, a, a, a huge deal. You know, I remember when we were kind of like middle school, high school age, like every once in a while, I'd say like, dad, let me have a sip of your beer. And he'd be like, okay, here. And it was like a tiny, innocent thing. And, but we, we understood that it wasn't okay. Um, you know, I remember driving around with mom at a very, very early age too. And she would say to you, Chris and I, or I don't even know if Chris was old enough, but she would say like, Hey, you guys know that like smoking's bad, right? <laughs> and we're like, yes, don't do drugs, like dare. And um, just she say no. just, just say, say no. no. And she would, but but she would give us the reason why she asked that question. And a lot of the times, the reason that she asked the question was because she had done it herself mm-hmm. and she had a bad experience with it. So she wanted to make it clear to us that um, don't go down that road because I tried it and it. And it was terrible right I think the first time she told us all um that she had tried cigarettes she also told me or maybe it was just me I'm not sure about um how in middle school she tried dipping tobacco and um you know it gave her a a huge head buzz and she got really dizzy and then she threw up and she would never do it again and I remember being like oh that's terrible I'm never gonna do that Right. Um, and, you know, I know, uh, you know, growing up um, when we were a little bit older, I guess, like dad had told us about dad told us about uh, how in college, like he only tried smoking weed one time and it was terrible for him and he never did it again. Um, they also told us about how uh, when they first started dating, they both were smokers and then they made a pact with each other that they were going to, you know, completely quit. Uh, because they loved each other and I found out later in life like that wasn't really true like it took mom <laughs> a lot longer than dad but I could see that but yeah oh yeah. Well, yeah I mean I mean you know it's, she's she's me so or I'm her um, but it, it's funny because I, I, I saw a conscious effort from them for a very long time from a very early age to kind of show us the warning signs but give us the reason why um, it would be in our best interest not to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that's kind of where it ends because then you have to, you know, as the person taking that advice or heeding that advice, like it depends on who you are, what you, yeah. what you make of it. Um, totally. So you had pretty normal experiences from what I recall just in high school and college. I mean, it's like you, you kind of go down the path and we've talked about this before of like, Everybody tries stuff from there and you and you keep in the back of your mind, what did mom and dad say? But, you know, at a certain point, to your point, like everybody's different and you kind of go and you try things. And, um, you know, I think I don't think you had a, an unusual experience, would you say? No, no. The only thing that's I mean, I drank a little bit in high school, but that was, you know, we went to high school with a really close knit group of, of friends mm-hmm. and, and most of their parents would go on trips. And so all of the front group would go over and, and, and have like a sleepover and, and drink a little bit, but it was never anything like I, I didn't really go out to huge parties or, or do anything like that. Um, I, I, you know, mom and dad would always say like, if you're, if you're going to go to a party and you're going to have drinks, um, instead of getting in the car with your friends, like call us and we'll pick you up. Yeah. Um, but we never really, like we always had a DD if it was one of our high school friends. Um, I'd usually crash in North Raleigh and, was never really a big deal. 
But no, we, you know, I, I never had, like, I never did drugs in high school. Uh, I didn't smoke cigarettes in high school. Um, I just drank occasionally. My, like, maybe starting in my, my junior and senior year. Yeah. So, super normal experience. Well, you like, didn't drink. So, no, I didn't drink, but, like... So, I, I didn't, like, you know, yeah. like, it wasn't, like, a social thing with me and you. Yeah, um, right. So, it was, like, my, my first experience was just with my closest friends. Right. Which is super typical. Um, and it's funny because I think that just solidifies, like we've said a million times, we had a great upbringing, mom and dad are leading by example, and they're telling us like what to do and what not to do. Cause a lot of parents out there are saying like, how do we approach our kids and what do we say and what do we teach them? And, um, we had a great situation. Like we, I feel like, you know, we had conversations, which is, which is the best part. And then leading into things, I mean, you, you know, in college and Chris is there, you had a very different experience than, than I did because I was already home. And so like Chris gets into what he does and like, what was your earliest account of understanding that Chris had a problem or did you realize that with us? I don't really know if I know that answer. Did I realize it with you? Like when mom called and he was in rehab. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. <laughs> that's, I guess that, that's no, the craziest no, no. part. Like, I don't uh, know. You were taking like pills and stuff? Uh, I knew you were doing some sketchy stuff. Yeah. But I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So basically, um, for everyone listening, when, when Jackie and I were in high school, we had this tradition where like she would drive me to school and we, we were 45 minutes uh, to, you know, to and from school both ways and so what we would do is we'd listen to music and we'd put the windows down and like we'd bond over music and things like that. And so the when, best when, playlist. It was ever. the best. <laughs> we burned the best CDs. But when Jackie went to college, uh, I took over that role with Chris and we kind of continued that tradition. So Chris and I bonded really early with like music. Like we'd find really good music. Um and, and, and yeah, and, and we'd bond that way. And so we became really, really tight in high school and I remember like Chris uh, had a, you know, a group of friends that lived like kind of down the street in the neighborhood next to us. And like, he kind of started to tell me like, oh, I'm going over there. And, you know, we, you know, we kind of play, we play pool and drink beer sometimes. And I'm like, that's, that's cool. Like I kind of started drinking beers with my friends too. And, like we had that <laughs> same experience at the same time. Uh, but it never struck me as weird because he was my friend. Right. And so, and, and Chris is an old soul, right? Mm-hmm. He always had older friends. Uh, it never surprised me that he hung out with like my friends or people in my grade. And, and granted, I was a senior when he was a freshman, but like it wasn't weird to me yeah. that I saw him hanging out with these people because he's like, hey, the kids in my class of my class are clowns. And, you know, I just prefer to hang out with your friends. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's cool because that means you can hang out with me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just remember, you know he started telling me that he was drinking and then like I I knew that he like had gotten caught with the weed at the hockey tournaments and every single time that happened I'm like oh well you know whatever like he's a he's a skater he's a skateboarder (laughs) um and so and I knew all of his friends were kind of stoners and so I I just figured that like assimilation you know he would he would start smoking too and yeah um, then it got to the point where I got, um, uh, Jackie and I actually both worked at a restaurant, uh, in high school it was our first job and we were hostesses there and we had, you know, an amazing experience there. We learned a lot, but, best um, cheese bread ever. best yes. cheese bread ever. But when you meet people that are older than you, that you work with who are of age and like restaurant industry, a lot of people like tend to party after their yeah. shifts. 
there was a big opportunity for people to buy me alcohol and I could go play Mr. Like, Hey, Mr. With them or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, and when Chris found that out, he was like, you know, Hey, you and I love, uh, watching family guy. Uh, you know, we love <laughs> hanging out, listening to music. Like you should get your friend to get us beer and mom and dad are going to be out for, you know, however many hours, like, let's just go home and play beer pong and drink and watch Family Guy. And I'm like, mm. you know what? I don't really feel like going out tonight. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, we'll turn on some really good music and we'll do that. And so we did that all the time, but it wasn't dangerous to me because in, in my eyes, it was just me hanging out with my brother and we weren't doing anything wrong. We weren't going anywhere. Mm. Uh, a friend was the one that was buying us the stuff. We weren't going out with a fake ID or anything. And so, like, I enabled Chris at a really young age to be okay with just, like, drinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if I ever went into, like, the mom and dad's liquor closet with you. You can correct nope. me if I'm wrong. Nope, never. But, like, creating that environment of being like, dude, it's totally fine. Like, yeah. I'm not going to get caught. Like, of course, he probably was like, oh, okay, the next step is I'm going to go into the liquor cabinet. And, like, <laughs> yeah, you know. I took so, it to the, to the extreme. You would come home and be like, Hey, I bought some really nice beers. Let's hang out and play a drinking game while we watch The Office or whatever. Yeah. Kind of a situation where I wasn't necessarily sneaking it and like stealing from mom and dad. It was just like, hey, let's chill and yeah. have some drinks. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I think that was the extent of it in, in high school. I mean, still doesn't sound unusual. I, but I knew I knew that you smoked weed. Like I did. But mm-hmm. I was like, I don't smoke weed and I've never smoked weed. But like I know your friends and they're cool and like... I know my friends who smoke weed and they're cool and like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not scared of you hanging out with them and I mean I even remember seeing you and uh, one of your hockey buddies who I won't name when mom had when mom and dad had their Fourth of July party like the really big one at, at the King Press oh, house oh yeah we had a whole uh, you guys were like smoking weed out of like a makeshift bowl made out of tinfoil in the driveway and you were like hey come watch this and I did and I was like oh weird I didn't know you could do that and then then it was like I walked away and that was fine yeah um can I ask you something real quick what did do you remember if you knew I know you probably knew what addiction was but like did you have any sense that like this could be a bigger issue probably not at this time but I'm just did you did you see it at all as this might be a little much (laughs) <laughs> no so I didn't then so when we went to college so um Jackie had just or I went to I was a freshman when you were like mm-hmm. a junior I guess yeah. and, and then you left to go back yep. Yep. Uh, home and, and finish up college there but um you know we lived in a, a party town at the beach and it was a college party town at the beach and that's kind of what you did on the weekends and so uh, I myself went a little wild in college. Again, I didn't. I still didn't do drugs or anything, but like I drank a lot more than I should. Mm-hmm. And like shortly after my uh, sophomore year, I think Chris came down to school there. Two thousand eight. Oh God! Well, maybe three years into college. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I remember when Chris moved down there, I was like, oh, I don't know that this is going to be the best place for him, but whatever. And I don't remember why. Mm-hmm. I just had a weird gut instinct and. He moved into his apartment, and it was right after mom had moved him in. And I remember going there, and he was like, I'm going to Cape Fear uh, Community College, and I signed up for all my classes, and this is what I'm taking this semester. And he walked me through his apartment, and everything was pristine. It was, like, really nice. And um, 
you know, he had this whiteboard that had a, a, a <laughs> he's laughing now, but a chart of all the days of the week and what classes Aww. he had and he could keep so track of his homework. And, <laughs> no, but, um, but. You tried though. Yeah. For a day. And, and so, uh, but he, but he had, he had, so, like, he was so convincing that that was what he was here for. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to all my classes. Here's where, here's my desk. It was like a built-in oh, desk. And, yeah. And, um, and so I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. Right. So I would like run into Chris, uh, in college at like parties. Like I'd invite him over to my friend's parties and all this stuff. And like, he would, he would hang with the best of us. Like he'd get hammered and people were like, wow, he's only, you know, however old years old you were. Um, but he was like, people respected him because he acted older and he never like, acted like a fool. And it's kind of like what I talked about in one of the first episodes, like it's kind of a game to me whenever mm-hmm. I'm getting drunk or doing drugs. Like I don't want to get caught. It's, I don't want to do it to look cool in front of people. I yeah. do it because I just, I can't control it because I love the effect that's produced by it. Yeah. You've always been able to hold your own with anybody. Um, and you're super charismatic and all that. So like, I, I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Cause I don't want anyone to like think that I have a problem. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we hang out in, in, I never really thought that it was anything out of the ordinary of just, you know, normal college behavior because he was my buddy and he was my best friend and we never, like we, we were always in a safe place when we hung out together and drank together. The, the, the moment when I started to realize something was off was the next time I went to Chris's apartment. He had called me at work. I was bartending at the time. And he very nonchalantly said, hey, um, I got robbed at, robbed at gunpoint and um, people stole a bunch of like weed and money from me and uh, the subwoofers that mom and dad got me for Christmas uh, got taken too. Okay. And I was like, wow, um, that was a very casual way to tell me that you almost just got killed. Right. <laughs> Um, so I, he's like, Hey, can you come out here? And so I was like, sure. So I went to his apartment and, uh, I walked in and there was some sort of a, like gravity bong made out of like a milk gallon in like a tub of water. (laughs) I I walked in and I had no idea what it was, but I was like, that just looks like some sort of a bong that someone made out of whatever. Um, and that was like sitting on the ki- uh, the kitchen counter, and then I looked uh, to the left, and the from I think John's episode, you guys talked about it, the like coffee table that mom and dad had given him that I think like the money or the weed was in. Yeah, that's where all the weed. Um, <laughs> that was uh, still in the middle of the the room, but there was like a couch and like a weird other thing that you had like rigged into stadium seating mm-hmm. I did. and it looked really dangerous and like very uh just bizarre and um in the living room if you look to the left it shared a wall with the master bedroom and there was a hole that was drilled and, and, and mind you this was an apartment there was a hole that was drilled in the wall and there were like tv cables running from the master bedroom to the living room i think so that there could be like another TV or you moved a TV in there or whatever. And I just remember being like, what the hell didn't seem right. 
is this? And your explanation of it was like, oh, well, I have a lot of friends over and um, we like to watch movies together and like we did stadium seating so everyone can see it and we didn't have a, a jack for the TV so we drilled a hole in the wall. <laughs> and I remember just being like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, because he was so nonchalant, yeah. nonchalant about it. And that was uh, a moment where like, and, and anybody listening, when you, f- when you know your sibling or you know your friend or you know your, your kid, when you have a moment like that, when you walk in and there's something just drastically different and it's out of character and, and there's an explanation that doesn't make sense or what have you, or even if there's no explanation, like trust your gut because I, I kick myself for not being like, what mm-hmm. is happening right now? Because this is so weird. Mm-hmm. And I, I left that day and I, I, I believed him and I felt bad for him that that happened. And I remember, um, I think I gave you money. Uh, I think I gave you money. Because you were like, yeah, everything's gone. Mom and dad are going to be pissed. My speakers got stolen. All my money is gone and all this stuff. And and so, you know, I probably should have said, are you all right? Like, what actually, I didn't even ask you who robbed you or why. Mm-hmm. Right. I just kind of assumed it was like some punks. The bad guy. <laughs> because the apartment that you lived in was not the safest spot on yeah. campus. But I didn't. I didn't think to ask, and I think it's 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 because I in the back of my mind I was like, dude, it's Chris. He's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's fine. It's Chris. Like right. Like he's right. smart. He's like he's he's an old soul. He has like a lot of nice people around him, and like he's my best friend, and like he wouldn't put himself in a position where mm-hmm. I should be worried about this. And then uh, I think I remember we went home one time after that and dad found like a scale in your uh, glove compartment. Don't remember. And we were driving in your Saturn. I was driving and you were in the passenger seat. Oh, wow, the Saturn. And your drug mule that you used to take down in Florida. That thing makes Oh, man. (laughs) So uh, we were driving in the Saturn. We we went somewhere and we came back home. We were back in Fuquay at mom and dad's house and... Uh, he had found a scale in your glove compartment and you immediately, your reaction was, oh my God, I'm, no, that's not mine. And dad was like, yes, it is. It's your car. And you were like, I'm not a drug dealer. And he goes, Chris, and you said, Megan, tell him I'm not a drug dealer. And you like ran inside. You were hysterical. You were so worried. And dad kind of just was like, you know, threw his hands up in the air and shook his head. And I, I had never seen a scale before. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm just going to wing this because I want to protect my my brother. And I said, Dad, calm down. He's not a drug dealer. His friends probably are, (laughs) but he's not. And Dad goes, Megan, are you kidding me? Do you know what this is? And I was like, no, I don't. But I'm assuming it has something to do with drug sales or drug deals. Drug drug sales. (laughs) And, um, And I said, I very adamantly, I'm like, I'm at school with him in Wilmington. Like, I, I, I know he has some sketchy friends, but like, this is, he's not doing this. Somebody had to have left us here. And this is after you had visited the apartment and had the sketchy feeling? Yeah. I, I was. Did you think back on that? Uh, no. Like, in the moment, no. And, and I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be like, wow, you're so stupid. Like, how could you not see this? But it is so incredibly hard when you have a loved one in this situation, uh, to see the forest through the trees. 
Yes. Uh, nobody drew a map for this. Right. Nobody wrote a book about this. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go through it as a family, you go through it for the very first time. And I would probably equate it to being a parent for the first time. Right? You know, you have to change a diaper. You're like, oh, I've never changed a, changed a diaper before. What am I supposed to do? Uh, but you're going through it as a family and like everyone's seeing different things and catching different things. And like, there's not a guide for it outside of like people that are recovered that can help you go through that. But um, you miss so much stuff that's right in front of your face. But there's also, and not to cut you off, but in our society and what is accepted and what is legal, alcohol, drugs aren't, but like there's a certain level to a point of what is accepted and what is chalked up to. And we've talked about this before, just, oh, you're experimenting and you're trying new things. Mm-hmm. And as a family member, they're like, and one of the reasons, the million reasons for this podcast is to, to shed light on these kinds of stories because you're saying, trust your gut. In that moment, you're like, oh, but you probably resolved in your own head, oh, it's just Chris, like you said. And I think a lot of people do that. And we can't accuse every single person of everything that we think they might be doing. But mm-hmm. there is some something... Some people could be experimenting. Right. So how do you decipher between... Totally. You know. But, you know, that's that's the tough part is, you know, should you have been considering that at that time? Probably not because there's there's other things in society that, that lead us down that path that's like, oh, yeah, no, it's just that's normal. That's what friends are doing. That's what other people are doing in my life, you know? And so it, it's yeah. an interesting thing, but I completely agree that the knowledge we're trying to bring is that you should pay attention to red flags. It doesn't mean you need to like go like boil the ocean and say, oh my God, like this person is an addict or an alcoholic, but it's really important to at least pay attention to them. Yeah, yeah. And and it's funny because, you know, I think if I had known what a scale was, yeah. Uh, which I thought it was funny that dad knew what it was, but I, I, if I had known what it was, I think it would have been more like, oh, whoa. Um, but, you know, it, it just is what it is. Like, I, I just didn't really know better. I, I was still young, too, and I, I know I was struggling with my own stuff. So, you know, you've got all this stuff going on, and, and it's really, really easy to miss. Um, it's kind of like the same thing where, um, like, I had a friend in middle school who was anorexic, and I saw her every single day. I cheered with her. Um, she was getting so skinny so quickly and, uh, the, you know, the, I was in, I was in gym class with her and I remember her saying, I really want to go weigh myself right now. And I was like, that's really weird. Yeah. But okay, let's go do it in the locker room. And mom showed up to our basketball game, um, like later that day and was like, what is going on with Megan? Mm -hmm. Not me, Megan, a different girl. And she was like, do you mind if I talk to her because she's too skinny mm-hmm. and I'm worried about her? And, and mom explained to me that because she hadn't seen her in a month, mm-hmm. she saw a drastic difference. But I was with this girl every single day. And so I didn't see her withering away as much as someone who hadn't mm-hmm. seen her in a while. And so that's another thing, too, is, you know, if, if you're around a loved one who's going through this, um, and you see them every day, the signs might not be as clear as like someone else being like, yo, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who are you? Yeah. Who are you now? So, um, and then another experience that kind of made me realize and, and, and opened my eyes to me saying what the hell to myself is, um, I was bartending at a restaurant and, um, 
Chris hadn't, uh, you know, had frequented there all the time because he would stop in and say hey to me and, you know, I'd buy him lunch or whatever. And he was good friends with a lot of people that I worked with, again, because he was just... Because I sold them all my Adderall. Well, that's the story I was getting to. Uh, thank you. Uh, but uh, Chris would, you know, Chris had an Adderall subscri- subscription. Subscription. <laughs> that he uh, didn't use, quote unquote, which now in retrospect, I think you probably just use the, the money that you sold it for to get harder Girls. drugs. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know that. I, he was just like, I don't want to take them anymore. And I'm like, I work in a restaurant. This is like candy to yeah. people. So, and, and I took, I, I took it sometimes mm-hmm. like you, you know, I'd be like, Hey, I have a shift where I have to, you know, be here till three in the morning. Can you bring me by some Adderall? And you never made me pay for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would just drop it off and I'd like buy you lunch or whatever. Um, but I, I was never one to like do it in school to do papers and stuff. Like, so I just didn't have the whole, like, you know, addiction to it, I guess, but uh, you know, in a college town, that is like, that's, that's like crack. Yeah, and is. so, um, Chris would come by every time he got his prescription filled and the whole restaurant, even the kitchen staff, um, the GM. and the GM would say, Oh, Chris is coming by. And I'd be like, yep. And he would show up and everyone would kind of swing by the table he was at and it would be gone. And for me, I was like. I was okay because I was like, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, all of these people that are getting this from him are not bad people. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad person. Um, and I get to see him, you know? And it's not like he's going downtown to like a sketchy, you know, um, like heroin district. Well, yeah, you were. But uh, <laughs> but like he was in a safe place that I was at and I could yeah. see, see him and I had eyes on him. And so for me, uh, it was more so like, oh, hey, everybody, Chris is here. And they're all like, yeah, your brother's so awesome. Yeah. And I didn't think about the repercussion that he was dealing drugs to all my coworkers illegally. And I was enabling that and, and, and making it like a cool thing. Yeah. And um, one, of, one of the people that uh, was, in, was involved, I've learned way later down the road, uh, with like getting this stuff from him, actually had a really bad problem. And the reason that he was asking for it was because like he couldn't get it from his doctors. Hmm. So that made me feel terrible, but it, it also just like, it, it, it made me feel um, like I didn't do a good job looking out for him uh, when I should have. And I should have realized like, Hey, this thing, this often is probably not okay. Mm-hmm. And why is he still getting this prescription if he doesn't use it or need it? Um, I thought that it was because it's like, oh, I'm in college and like, I'm getting this anyways and I need to make money because I'm broke. (laughs) But, um, you know, that that was another point where I was like, you know, I should have seen the forest through the trees there. Um, The very next time that... Uh, I got really kind of scared, but I still didn't really put two and two together was um, when Chris got out of rehab the first time and moved back to Wilmington. I can't remember your friend's name that you used to always come and visit. I, I don't think he's alive anymore. Um, Rob. Rob. Mm-hmm. Came into um, the bar that I was working at and I was, I had no idea 
what you're supposed to do with people who are in recovery when they come back around like substances. Yeah. I was a bartender. Yeah. Chris always frequented my bar. Yeah. So he came and he sat at the bar and I remember he was like, um, we were doing, I poured backdraft shots for, uh, I think a group of Marines next to him. And it's a really cool shot where like you fill up a champagne glass with champagne and then you put like 151 on it and then you set it on fire. You cover it with your hand and then you like suck the fumes out. It's, it's this big like show. <laughs> and um, he was like, that looks really cool. Can we get like three of them for the three of us? And I looked at him like, no. And he goes, Megan, it's fine. I was a drug addict. I can drink. And that probably ha- that happens so much. Yeah, and I and and if I had not had the family that I have and the and the fear of God of like my parents being so pissed off at me, if I messed this up worse for him, yeah. I would have done it. But I said no, and then he said, "Dude, come on," and I said, "All right, but I'm not pouring it for you." So Chris looks over at the girl who is a dear friend of mine next to me, who was also bartending, and she goes, all right, I'll do it. Hmm. So the next thing I remember is, like, I went out back to smoke a cigarette because that's the only break you get when you bartend, and <laughs> Chris was out back smoking cigarettes with me, drunk as hell. Yeah. And I remember being like, okay, this is not good because he's only been here for a very short time, and this happened really, really fast. So that's another point in time where... You know, if, if you if you have someone that you know that's in recovery who says that they can do it and it's fine and they were only like a certain type of addict, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, I think you can back that's me up the biggest point. crock of shit. Either you're a real alcoholic and drug addict or you're a hard user and a hard drinker. Right. And, you, and that's it. There's and no in between. For, for I was going to say, for clarification, can you be an alcoholic and not an addict? I've or never, an addict and... I've never seen it. Okay. And, and it's funny because you'll talk to a lot of people and they'll be like, <clears throat> yeah, he still drinks and stuff um, and he's fine. Like, he's, he was a heroin addict. So, like, he, he's not an alcoholic. And it's kind of interesting because it's all the same chemicals yeah. in the brain, those THIQs. Yep. And... People that did heroin and then got sober from heroin but can drink, if they can drink normally, like they were probably hard users and right. got into using heroin yeah. for some and people will say, like, if you do heroin, you're an addict. And like that is not true. Right. Just because someone does heroin doesn't mean they're a drug addict. Right. For if someone does heroin and then quits and then can't stop doing it after they've been able to quit, mm-hmm. it's because of that obsession. Right. Um, I know a lot of people that did heroin that can drink normally now or, you know, take a pill here and there now and be completely fine. And they've proven, you know, my hat is off to them because I don't understand that. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, But it's, it's all the same chemicals in your brain that are getting released when you do it. And ultimately like if you are a drug addict, you can't be an addict but then not have the same obsession for, for alcohol, right. like, or, or the same obsession or, or lack of control around mm-hmm. other substances. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like me. It's the same exact thing as me saying I'm a heroin addict, but I can do cocaine. Right. I'm an, I'm a drug addict, but like it was heroin. That was my issue. Like I just do Coke now. 
Hmm. You know, and it's kind of like if I can do coke normally, I probably wasn't a real addict. So when you, so this was after your first rehab. So did you really think that you weren't an alcoholic when you told her that? Do you remember? I I had that obsession. I wasn't lying. I was, I was lying to myself, but I didn't know I was lying to myself. My mind told me that That I could drink normally, even though from day one, my experience is that I can't drink normally. Right. And it's because uh, I never got through the the process of getting through the work and getting to a place where my mental obsession was removed and an adequate and like representation of what absolutely it is. yeah yeah so yeah that's, that's so I believed I could drink yeah normally. yeah and 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 when I first looked back on it I was like oh he manipulated me mm-hmm. but he you weren't you you really thought that the first time that I knew that Chris was really sober was when. Um, you when Jackie, I think you told me he went to a bar with you downtown, and that guy was like hitting on you, so he got mad. And then the guy was like, Here, let me buy you a drink. And Chris was like, No, I don't drink. And he was like, Yes, let me buy you. Oh, I think it was like a shot or whatever. I don't remember. And, I was worse. <laughs> and he asked you like three or four times, and you said, Uh, okay, you want me to take that shot? Um, if I do that. Within five minutes, I'll figure out where you mm-hmm. live, and I will have robbed you of everything that you have. Do you want me to take it now? Mm-hmm. And he was like, ugh, and like ran away. And I remember when I heard that story, I was like, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, may I think it's too. fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I found out that you, when you called me and said that you were uh, going to rehab because you were a heroin addict, I was floored. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't understand how. How did it happen? I didn't yeah. understand how how in the world could that have happened. It's Chris, captain mm-hmm. of his hockey teams, like good at everything he does. Like my my best friend, like you know, um, most lovable lovable guy, super mm-hmm. funny. Like how did this get from him selling Adderall to my coworkers to going to rehab for being a heroin addict? Well, it's wild. And mom said it in her episode too. You never lost. I mean. If we really paid attention, like we probably would have noticed it, but you never really lost you and your, and you, and it probably goes back to what you're saying. You didn't want anyone to think you had a problem, mm-hmm. but like throughout every stage, you never lost the like very lovey, like, who I was. Cri- yeah, like yeah. Who, you, yeah. who we love, who you are. And so I think that also makes it a, a bit difficult because it wasn't like you were like curled up in the corner somewhere. You I know was I mean? battling. It's interesting because I was battling trying to be. Um, who I wanted to be and then who I actually was. And I was an addict that was struggling, who couldn't stop. But then on the other hand, I so badly wanted to be that normal person that Mm -hmm. was, you know, completely fine. And that's what I saw from you. And so I think that's why it was so hard. And and these are my my best friends were were shocked. And they hung out with you all the time. And they're just like, we don't see him do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. Nobody did. No one did. And so... That's why it's just so important when you have those kind of weird, like, this is a little bit off, mm-hmm. like those moments. That's, that's, it's important to pay attention to that. Um, you know, I don't know if I would have ever known the right way to approach how to talk about that with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't know if I had enough, like, credibility to even call you out on it. Or education. Like, and that, that, I would have been yeah. like, I can't talk. Right. Like, right. You know, so who am I to tell him what to do? And um, so what's the best way? Like, what would have been the best way for me to, like, call you out on that stuff? 
It all goes back to... Could you have? What we... Yeah. Or would it, you have listened to you? <laughs> I wouldn't have listened, but if you're going to attempt to help somebody... Um, it's kind of funny because I was having a conversation with somebody uh, the other night about this where if somebody is showing that they struggle with alcohol or drugs and you've brought up to them time and time and time and time again that you have an issue and, and I'm here to help you, but then that person continues mm-hmm. and, and doesn't stop, it's almost kind of like at that point, that's when you do the whole like, now I'm just getting to the point where I'm being too soft with you and like I don't support what you're doing mm-hmm. and like I won't engage with you anymore until you get better. Yeah. Um, that's if somebody, if you've approached somebody and tried to help them and they've been like, I'm fine, I don't need your help and then they just like keep going. Um, however, when you're first approaching somebody, if you have no idea if they're actually struggling or not but you think that there's something wrong, the best way to do it is just to be completely honest with them and do it out of love. Yeah. Like, hey, you know I love you. I don't judge you. It seems to me like you look fine from the outside, but I'm getting these weird hints that you look like you could be struggling with something and I don't know what it is. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and just be honest. And don't – people always say like when you approach someone, you got to be hard on them and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I believe that's the truth after they've been very clear with you that they have zero intention yeah. of stopping when you've tried to help. Mm-hmm. But, like, approaching people out of love, understanding, and compassion is going to open people up a whole lot more than when, you know, you tell them, how could you do this yeah. piece of shit? Yeah, and I think at the very tough, I think the toughest part for our family was we didn't, there wasn't a podcast. There wasn't, maybe there was, I don't know. Not we, we didn't Hell have, no. we didn't have to your point, like a manual or a playbook that was like your family member could be an addict. Like I, I think mm-hmm. the sole purpose of this, if nothing else is, and I hope there's people listening that don't have any experience with addiction or don't, don't realize they do. Right. Um, that they then are tuning in. And if, and when they do come to a point where they have somebody that's struggling, know exactly that they, to do. yeah, they have mm-hmm. tips at least or like a, Hey, at least know to reach out to us. Right. Or at least, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. I've got this son who's addicted to heroin. Yeah, it's like, what am I supposed to do? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I wanted to bring up too, um, was I think one of the reasons that I kind of denied it for so long with denied the signs and the signs that I saw and was so completely devastated and, and mm-hmm. like had the floor ripped out from under me when I found out that Chris was going to rehab the first time because, uh, you know, when, when it happens to you the first time, you are just like, oh my God, everything's over. Like, this is the worst thing in the world, even though it's a good thing uh, that they're going. Um, but I, I think the, the reason that it affected me so much was because we were so close. I was like, he would have told me. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, he would have told me. He tells me everything. And so I was like, what, it, what am I missing? Like, this is the kid that tells me about everything. What am I missing? Um... So I felt really not guilty uh, about it. Well, maybe there's a little bit of guilt that goes initially with it, but I was kind of just like so like lost and confused. Like, where did I miss my opportunity to stop this? And mm-hmm. I didn't realize until you went through rehab a few times that it's not up to me to stop you, you know? Um, but, uh, and another thing too is, 
um, when I mentioned like no one wrote a handbook for this, it's it couldn't be more true. And um, you know, the 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 funny thing is, mom and dad are so open about this. Our family's so open about this. We talk about it a you know a billion different times. Um, even just listening to to mom's episode, I learned a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that we've never talked about. Yep. That I never heard, and we've been talking about this for years. And um, you know, one thing I think it's important for uh, families to know that are going through this is the very first time that Chris went to rehab, uh, the message that I got from, from our parents was keep this on the DL. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't let anyone know. Cause we didn't know at that point. And my thought was, Oh, it's cause we're the Barry family and <laughs> Chris is the captain of his hockey team. And, uh, it's a bad example. And, um, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Like if we're going to brush it under the rug and not tell anybody, he should be fine really quickly. Yeah. Uh, the second time that he went, it got a little bit more and she got a little bit more open. And by the third time she was like, I'm singing this from the rooftops because people need to know because people are dying out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was really in awe of like the difference each time he went of, of, how much we were like, you know what? Screw this. We're talking about it because it's not working not to. Mm-hmm. So if you have a loved one who's going through this, the worst thing that you can do is try and like be a politician and keep it behind closed doors Yeah, because it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help anyone understand. It doesn't uh, help the person that's going through it because it makes them feel ashamed. Yeah. Um, and it's something that needs to be talked about. So uh, I, just, I wanted to bring that up because I think that's really, really important. Super important. That goes for anything, though, like all the, the, the world right now. But like any sort of story, right? And, and you know, faded, as we've said on, on social lately, it, it represents more than just addiction because, let's face it, people go through everything. And, and I am way more intrigued and curious about other stories now that I've accepted that addiction is something that, you know, I have become educated about and went from like total judgment to now understanding. So I'm like, whoa, what else can I learn about? Right. And I think it's, it's opened my eyes. So I I think that goes for anything. Oh girl, you know, I've been through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There were so many things that I used to judge about other people and now I'm like, ooh, 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 So, you know, I think that's a good, I mean, that's just a good point in general is like, I don't know, you got to talk about things. You got to talk about your stories. And because then it doesn't become whatever we want to make it in our heads. And we've talked about that before. Like I have a huge imagination. Actually, all three of us do. And I feel like in growing up and like, I mean, I wish we could play our home videos. We're not going to do that on social, but it's like, you would see just like being a kid. And actually it's funny. Somebody at work, we have a little like conversation channel that goes and someone was like, you know, what do you, what did you have as a kid that you don't have now? And I said, you know, the wonder and imagination. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that carries through for everyone, but it's like, as we get older, we kind of keep that sheltered. Yeah. Right. As more than when we're a kid and we just don't know. And we're just like, well, you know, so well, people get jaded. Yeah. Right. Get jaded. Yeah. Right. And, well, and I think people lose the ability to like, uh, be connected with each other. And I, I think that, you know, it's almost a, well, it's a blessing in a billion ways that Chris went through this mm-hmm. um, because of how many people have been, mm-hmm. have, how many people's lives have been saved um, just from the work that you've done and the work that mom's done and, mm-hmm. and I mean, even this podcast probably. But, um, 
you know, if we had not been through that as a family and learned how to cope with that as a family and all row in the same direction and, and, uh, support each other. I mean, there's been a lot that's happened since. There's been, that's my point. There there has been a lot. (laughs) Jackie's raising her hands to the heavens. (laughs) A lot that has happened since, um, whole nother podcast. That would break a lot of people. That would break a lot of people. And it's happened to, uh, more than one of us. And, um, we, had already been through battle once together, and so we were equipped this time, and it made it a lot better. So if you can get yep. through um, this with your family, yep. like you will not believe what the ability yep. uh, of what you can get through. And we've walked through the things that we've walked through after the addiction as a group. I think all three of us have been through some pretty mm-hmm. incredible things. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, it, it gave us the tools as a family to understand how to like walk through those things. And like it would, things that we've been through, it would truly break a lot of people. And like we've walked through it and now we're in incredible places. And it's thanks to like learning principles through getting mm-hmm. through the diversity that we got through in the addiction situation. Mm-hmm. And hey, uh, I have your back 100% no matter what. And yeah. it's unconditional love that uh, will keep a family together forever. Yeah, um, it will. I have no doubts looking at uh, every single person in my family that no matter what I do or what happens to me, they have my back 110%. There's no judgment. No judgment. Nope. nope. Uh, Everyone has a story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember uh, before you know before you went through all this, like I was like scared to tell mom and dad stuff. And now it's like yeah. we're wide open because oh, yeah. we're, we're all going to help each other. And so... We're all just trying to figure life out. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone is. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody has life figured out. Well, and and you know, you've heard this growing up like forever. It's like the people that are standing by you now in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you grow up and you have like a million friends, right? People that stand by you now in life. Those are the people that are going to have your back. And, And going through something like this, I mean, for those that don't have close family members and friends, we keep mentioning this network of people that have to stay engaged in the addiction thing and, and they're all part of the people that would love you too, you know? And it's like this immediate family that you gain. Um, I also think back and I have to mention, and I'll just choose this podcast episode to mention it, but you've had some incredible influences in your life too. Oh yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about Robbie and I just wanted to call out Robbie. And that's part of our story with you, Meg, too, is that um, Robbie was Chris's hockey coach and his best friend's father who passed away. Amazing um, guy. Literally. He was the most influential person. Right. And amazing guy. And uh, would come and see you in rehab and, and just showed his dedication to caring about you. Mm-hmm. Right. And through the, action, through action. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, and he didn't owe you that at all. No, he, there was no reason no. for him to show up all the, all the time. No. And, and showed up on his Harley, sat down with me, <laughs> talked positive thoughts into my soul and yeah. showed me zero judgment. Yeah. I mean, zero judgment. Right. And just uh, like his son. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, And so that came to mind. And I just think, you know, one of the proudest moments for me, and I'm just kind of riffing here, but one of the proudest moments for me and Meg, Meg and I, when he passed away, Meg and I took you to his funeral and, um, Oh, we had to check him out of rehab the first time. We checked him out of rehab. I was in there for like five days. We had to bring you a suit. Yeah. (laughs) We had to check the suit. It was a process, but, um, luckily we were able to get you out and, um, and you're like, I guess I at least hadn't seen you before. So our dad is a, an unbelievable speaker and, um, 
you know, you stood up and, you know, they announced, hey, who wants to say something? And Megan and I are sitting in the crowd and you guys are up in the front row with all your buddies. And there were like 250 people there. (laughs) It was, uh, they put up microphones for anyone that wanted to come up and speak. And it was kind of crickets for probably 15 seconds. (laughs) And they were about to take them away. Yeah. And then you see Chris stand and Megan and I just immediately grabbed hands and started tearing up. We were like, what is going to happen right now? We started I mean, bawling and the people <laughs> in front of us turned around. Yeah. Because uh, they were like, whoa. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's amazing to me. The reason I bring that up is like Robbie was such an influence in your life and you were, you know, moved to these beautiful words and you showed your colors of, of being so similar to dad. And there's like stuff we hadn't seen. And um, anyways, I'm rambling, but it's, I think, family and people that are showing you through action that they're in your life. Um especially when you go through stuff like this together is, is the most important thing ever. Like that's all that matters really at the end of the day. Well, and, I mean, and, and Chris walked up to the front and, and basically said like, this guy kept me alive yeah. and gave me hope because I knew he was going to come see me every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a really powerful thing to say at someone's funeral. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it just goes to show that like if you unconditionally love people and you have and you have their back and, and, and you let them know that, uh, they will get through stuff. Yeah. And you've got to educate yourself too. That's another big thing that we keep saying is like, what do I do with my loved one? You know, they're struggling. Educate yourself and, and take care of yourself um, and you'll get there. Uh, I know we don't have a ton of time left. I want to know from you guys, fun stuff. What is your favorite? Let's see if you guys agree on this. Favorite playlist or artist from your high school car days? Guster. One, two, uh, oh! <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say one, two, three, and then say it at the same oh. time. Oh, okay. Guster. Right. Now, the second one. One, two, three. Dispatch. Dispatch. Oh. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I love it. Uh, the other one I always remember you guys talking about was Sufjan Stevens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still listen to him. Yeah, we yeah. still listen to him. You guys always bond over that. Uncle Ted's um, Uncle Ted's I know, yeah. I know. Sweet Uncle Ted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Meg, thank you for joining us. And I would love to ask you just any final things you'd like to share with the audience. Because I think, again, your perspective is a lot different. Like, you know, I'm, the you know, older and was working and seeing this from afar and trying to quickly learn and you were actually in the trenches with Chris in in a way and like you've looked back on a lot now and you've as we mentioned gone through a lot so like what would you say I guess to people that are listening in like any final thoughts not to put pressure but I just you know so I would say um you know keep your eyes peeled and know your people yeah like just trust that you know who your people are around you and, and, and um, what they're about. And if you see, you know, if you see those people start to act a little bit differently or, or do things that are not their normal self or whatever, you know, it's, it's not anybody's business to tell anybody else what to do, but don't be afraid to trust your gut instincts on that because you are probably right. Um, and one, you know, one thing that can be really helpful to people who are struggling is having someone close to them, uh, ask a simple, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And what's going on? And, um, you know, for family members, especially, uh, I think the most important thing to remember is like Chris has said in the past, 
Um, the worst thing that you can do is, is say, how, how could you, um, you know, you're, you're destroying the family. Mm -hmm. I can't believe this could happen to me. Um, you know, be in the opposite mindset and say, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. How can we help you? What do you need? Right. Um, because there were a lot of times I think that, that I probably could have asked that. And I think that it could have helped a little bit, um, you know, it's always up to the person who's going through it to actually be the one to uh, be ready and, and um, you know, take the steps to get better. But you can't really do that if you don't have a support system. Totally. Uh, and, a, and a backbone. And, and the best thing that, you know, anyone listening that has someone that they know that's going through this can do is just let the, the person know that you love them unconditionally and that... Uh, you've got their back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And dude, we're, I love you guys so much. We're so lucky. Um, but it's, it's not for like, it's not an easy path that we've gone down to just be able to say that. Did you get the good pick? Yeah. <laughs> we'll post it. Um, it's not, it's not for like, you know, us to just have said like, oh, we had the perfect life and we went through it. Um, I think it's, it's all about growing together and being open to understanding who we all are as individual people and having our backs in order what that meant. Cause we are three very different people <laughs> and we are all three close to one another in different ways. Same with mom and dad. Uh, and you know, we are all people at the end of the day and you don't choose your family. Um, we happen to have an amazing one, but mm -hmm. it's, it's all about, you know, the commitment and being open to knowing one another. And I really, um, yeah. one thing that, I, <laughs> yes, one thing that I do want to, want to add to that though, is you, you don't choose your family, but some people don't have a family, Yes. but you yes. can have a chosen family in that situation. So if you don't have family and you're listening, go find your people that mm -hmm. have your back and, and have, you pick your chosen family. Yep. Yes. Replace family with your people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you for being my people. Love you guys. I can't um, believe I got through this without crying. You, I know. <laughs> yeah, you did. That's kind of a surprise. Welcome yeah. to the podcast. We love you. Talk soon. See yeah.